It's Grunkle time. Get, get, get up. Wake up. Get, Nephew, wake, wake up. up. Mm, wow, it's a bright sunny day. Time to stay inside and watch movies. Yeah, that's right. I got your Cocoa Krispies nice and ready with your favorite whole milk. And mm. um, we're going to watch so many movies today. Don't you know it's all about oat milk these days, Grunkle? Oh, oat milk is for freaking soy boys, am I right? Whoa. No, I Grunkle Grunkle Mustache opposed to the Sigma grind set. No, I'm I'm I drink oat milk myself. It's the only thing we ever have in my apartment. So I guess mm. Grunkle's a soy boy himself. Oh well you said it, not me. What's your favorite cereal? It's your favorite cereal. And no, your what's favorite... your favorite cereal? Oh, what's my favorite yeah. cereal? Well, I can tell you that my favorite cereal podcast is Grunkle's Movie. Oh, good plug. Good plug. Oh, good plug. Nothing good like the self-plug. Um, my favorite cereal, I really like uh, Honey Bunches of Oats. That's a good Ooh. one. Um, Honeycomb is another good one. I'm uh, seeing a pattern. Yeah. Um, I really like the the Frosted Mini Wheats. Oh, those are, good too. Those are so good. Um, and I also like cornflakes as well. I'm a cornflakes guy. I can fuck with some cornflakes. Any kind of cornflake? Just cornflakes. Oh, I like doesn't that. have to be doesn't have to be cornflakes brand cornflakes necessarily, right. but you know. But that and oat milk, those two don't go together. But like you get some like CTC in oat milk, then hey, now you're talking. What is CTC? Cinnamon toast crunch, Brunkle. Come on, oh, get, hip, oh, get oh. hip with the lingo. <laughs> yeah sorry my little i'm a, you know i'm a from a different generation i don't know all those. it's true it's true you the did watch you did watch the berlin wall fall um yeah they in... freaking took down the wall i put up yeah that's... those bastards those bastards what's your favorite cereal grunkle i am i'm i i mostly don't discriminate when it comes to cereal it's more of a less about having a favorite for me because i love so many and more about like having ones that i hate like fruity pebbles tricks fruit loops those are ones i cannot get behind mm, those are banished yes i used to like fruit loops i never liked those other two yeah yeah well yeah i i can get behind that but these days there's this like uh there's this like cereal brand i don't know what it's called but they have a cereal called peanut butter panda puffs and those are mm totally s tier cereal oh you like that whole foods puffin cereal i bet you like those i don't know what that is oh come on grunkle come on well anyway we uh we're we're doing our favorite pastime here which is digressing from our uh from our oh, primary well, no, I, topic i figured we could branch out start doing like youtube video uh tier lists mm. oh yeah some cereal tier lists yeah dude that's what everyone wants man these <laughs> shit they want tier lists well, too bad, Grunkle. It's not about what they want. It's about what we want and about what you, our dutiful listeners, want because it's really you who comes first. But we don't need to pander to those 13-year-olds on YouTube, Grunkle. Whatever. Fine. We'll talk about the 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 beauty of cinema or whatever this bullshit yeah, is yeah, all about. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Well, why don't you tell our our dear listeners what we watched this week? Yeah, it would be my pleasure. This week, for your listening pleasure and our viewing pleasure, we watched Kess, we watched Deep Cover, and we watched Faces, and that's Kess, K-E-S. 
and that's Faces, F-A-C-E-S. And oh. Deep Cover is L-I-G-M-A. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, should I should I fall for it? No, I'm not. <laughs> who the hell is Steve Jobs, Grunkle? And who the hell is Lawrence Fishburne? Well, he's about to tell you. But first, we're going to learn about a hawk. And that hawk belongs to a man named Ken Loach. Well, not really. He's just uh, the the director of He's just the film. one that kills the hawks. Well, you know, that's neither here nor there, Grunkle. Who's who's to really say? But uh, Ken Loach, hawk murderer, um, <laughs> made a film in 1969. I believe this was his sophomore feature film. Um, I might be mistaken on that, but uh, Ken Loach, a British filmmaker, uh, one of the few directors to win the Palme d'Or twice, and certainly a director I have been interested in exploring and have not really taken the chance to. And so Grunkle and I ventured into his film Kess, which is about a boy and his Kestrel growing up in working class. I don't know, not quite London. It's a suburb of uh you know so somewhere in in britain did you did you catch where this took place uh hawk town hawk town right hawksville um in hawksville england um there is a lad a boy named billy and billy uh i gotta i gotta drop south yorkshire yeah exactly okay south yorkshire um there's a boy named billy who shares a bed with his evil stepbrother and doesn't really get along with the kids in school so much um and in his uh daily exploration of the world in his solitude he finds a uh kestrel nest kestrel being a uh, a small hawk like bird and he decides to capture one of these birds and raise it and he begins to train it and is teach and teaches it how to hunt throughout the process of this movie. And uh, if what I sound if what I just described to you sounds exciting, you know, just a boy and his hawk <laughs> coming of age story. Uh, well, you might be chagrined to to discover that the majority of this film is mostly a commentary on the school system in Britain at the time. Uh, really picking apart the values of the system and the film largely critiques yeah the oppressive nature of uh of the school system and also at as a critique of england at large at the time as uh we often discuss here on the potty pod of intimate drama and quarrels kind of being extended outward, uh, especially when they discuss more political topics. Like, uh, I feel like this film ultimately does. Would you would you agree with me, Grunkle, that this is more than a movie about a bird? Actually, for me, a very disappointingly, very, a very disappointing amount of this bird was even in the movie because that's why I was kind of hyped to watch this movie. I'm like, I want to see some fucking cool hawks. You're an aspiring falconer, are you not? Exactly. Uh, you know, I am, as 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 it says on my letterbox bio. Um, aspiring falconer, without a doubt. And yeah, I got a little too too many gym room shower scenes and not enough <laughs> him flying the bird around. Because those sequences were like the most exciting for me oh, personally. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the the story at the core of this film is still very engaging, but 
I don't know. Yeah, not necessarily what I expected going in. And um, yeah, more bird, please. That's that's kind of my take on it. How much of the <laughs> how much of the aspiring falconer thing is? I don't know. I you know I don't expect that you'll. Well, maybe you will be a falconer one day. But is was that like something that you wanted to do for a chunk of your life? No, it's just every single time I've seen a falcon, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? I should be hanging out with these dudes. But right, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, I, I, and I, you know, what? this is actually going to be something that connects to the film very well. Is that um, in life, there are so many paths that are kind of put out for you when you're growing up in the world, and there's so many different routes you can take and so many of them i guess we would deem as conventional or expected or uh beneficial for society at large you know so you can feel good about yourself and what you're doing in the world but there's so many other things that exist in this world and that have beauty and importance and deserve our time and attention and yeah i don't know i think something about me i feel like that would have been a cool thing to do but uh, it's also not ne- too late necessarily, but I'm just, uh, I don't know, maybe fantasizing of a past life or a future life where I'm like an apprentice falconer and I like skip middle school or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, of course. I, 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 uh, I, I pray for the, the little Elliot running around out there in a parallel <laughs> universe that is having a, having a falcon land on them and eat their little meats. Yeah, but then also being like, I'm not taking your shit. You're not taking my shit. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so, yeah, for me, um, yeah, I guess turning into tuning into the plot of this movie a little more. Um, after Billy finds and raises this falcon, uh, he, he gets into a, a big fight at school with some other boys, and as a result, has a heart to heart with one of the more sensible teachers of the bunch. And um, the teacher finds out, well, Billy in class talks about his falcon. And then the teacher asks to come over and watch him fly it. And then after uh, the teacher does, he and Billy have this really nice, uh, this really nice scene together, this really nice discussion where they talk a lot about the bird and how it's not a pet or something you can coddle. It's something, you know, you have to give respect to. It's something that, you know, serves a purpose. Falcons were used for hunting by many, um, native cultures and um yeah you know it's it's a, a a very interesting kind of like spirit that this film captures that kind of outsider loner spirit that a falcon maybe exemplifies in a certain respect because seldom do you see them in in a group um but then they hold their own majesty and command over the world and yeah i don't know it's it's all uh very very inspiring in its own way um but ultimately um billy's evil stepbrother has to come in when uh billy uh is uh given the task of placing a bet on some horses and uh uh after being told by uh a local uh, i don't know gambler i guess you'd call him uh that the horses wouldn't be so great to bet on billy instead decides to buy some fish and chips and when that bet would have paid out 16 quid to his his older brother he does the only rational thing and kills billy's bird you know gives him the the one two fuck you i guess yeah yeah and billy um billy's a kid from a working class household doesn't have a father figure in his life has this abusive awful 
older brother. His mom, we see, is tender and sort of caring, but isn't around a lot because she works. And when she's not working, she's going out because she's alone and doesn't have to deal with her evil little son, which is Billy's older brother. And so, yeah, Billy's very much this this working class kid who at school doesn't do well and gets in trouble and um it's just always getting picked on or talked down to and so for him to have this bird um not only as a companion and as a another being through which he can express himself in a healthy way in which he can feel proud of himself it also sort of acts as this i don't know metaphor for for freedom and for you know growing up and when it dies the sort of loss of innocence perhaps of childhood and having to deal with grief um in a in a life that has not uh, already treated him that well this is very much falls under british social realism and like kitchen sink dramas of the time which certainly lends to a little bit of its dryness for me i i'm yeah i have a i have a hard time with british social realism social realism of any kind but especially i don't know something about british social realism is it's really dry often um and like you said i really love all the sequences of him and the bird and when that teacher comes in and sort of is a bit of a father figure placeholder for a little bit in the film that's really nice and i love there are these there are these scenes that for him to go from his house to where he found the bird, it's he has to go through these uh, thick green forest. Uh, and those sequences were, I, th- I thought, really beautiful of him like going through yeah. the forest. Yeah, there was a lot of visual promise in this film, but a lot of it being uh, clustered into the uh, oppressive dormitories. Uh, yeah, the, re- the really the schoolmasters are such assholes in this yeah. film. Like like that. There's one part in the movie where where somebody coughs during an assembly, and the principal goes, "Well, clear your throats on the way to school. Don't do that here." Right. And I'm like, "What the hell? Like like what are these expectations we are putting on people right. to behave in?" a certain way and yeah i will certainly wholeheartedly wholeheartedly agree with you my grunkle about the dryness the dryness so dry that my words don't even come out because <laughs> um, you need to moisten your lips in order exactly to come out in order so for me to even pronounce british <laughs> social realism um but it was a film, yeah, I think that this genre of filmmaking, like you said, is very dry and is very focused on meta-commentary within the uh, smaller plot at hand. And, you know, like like we often discuss when we are not as plugged into certain cultures, um, the films don't necessarily hit as hard if uh, they can't really bring the the life of that culture into the film itself, which I feel like this film does not necessarily do. Right. And some of them for me almost feel ethnographic and like in their, in their depiction of, yeah, of trying to sort of give agency to, because it's social realism is almost always examining the working class. Um, And it's often from, I don't know about Ken Loach's background, but it's often, um, from people that weren't ever really working class in their life. So it almost sometimes feels, I didn't, I didn't get it out of this, but the movement can feel like 
a bit ex exploitative maybe sometimes um but yeah that's just kind of reads more is a little dry and i think you know it does um it, it is successful in its commentary of uh social values uh at the time um england in sort of beginning in the late 60s and early 70s um the government and a lot of older folk sort of had a very reactionary social political response to the sort of hippie movement and things in england actually got like regressed a little bit like after the like 67 and 68 kind of summer of love stuff because people were so scared of like talking about sex and talking about sort of more progressive um topics that the government actually uh cracked down on a lot of that stuff and like there was a lot of obscenity cases at the time and um laws uh that sort of worked against yeah just uh progressive ideas and so a lot of this film is yeah critiquing the sort of crushing authoritarian uh aspect of british policy at the time which of course trickles down into the home and into the schools and so you have this this kid growing up and all he wants all he wants in life is you know what everybody wants in life which is their own freedom and, to fly a bird okay. yeah right and like what's what's a more apt animal metaphor for freedom than you know a bird and so yeah i agree yeah it, it's certainly he certainly knows what he's doing here ken loach um and i'm very excited to watch more of his films um yeah and i i'm also glad i started at the beginning with his work yeah. um, or at least near to the beginning to kind of see uh how he will evolve as a filmmaker um I've seen yeah his... i would say oh sorry you go first i was just gonna say i've seen his two most recent ventures into social realism uh i daniel blake and what was that other one called oh my goodness i cannot remember right now sorry but, we missed you yeah no? sorry we missed you i liked i daniel blake a lot um yeah that's the one that won that's one of the palm door winners yeah and it very much falls into the sort of dryness that we're talking about but has a character so worth rooting for and so fleshed out that it really works in that one mm. but also just crushing like just just like the the most like defenseless sort of innocent people that continuously are just met with derision and 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 hardships and it it can be hard to watch both and that's the way and... we like it because yeah, we like to is, keep people in power here at the grunkle colonizer podcast hey whoa whoa you're the colonizer right okay colonizer i actually know her oh buzz up bing buzz up boom what were you gonna <laughs> say before um i was gonna say my biggest gripe with this film is the all too long soccer scene of <laughs> <laughs> of the sequence where they're playing football as the brits call it um oh, those weirdos and the pe teacher has to play with them because they have an odd number or something but he is being such a dick and trying so hard to win and pushing kids in the mud <laughs> and he's just savage and the scene goes on for probably 15 minutes you know what i mean like between them getting dressed and then showering and him trying to get out so he can go feed his bird um 
yeah that was certainly the biggest uh the biggest thing gumming up the works yeah. in my opinion it's it's that's a sequence kind of played up for laughs and i, I thought for it was sure, pretty funny sure. i thought it was pretty funny yeah it's funny but i also feel like it's kind of it slows down the film yeah the yeah 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 it distracts just, it definitely distracts yeah. <laughs> where you know there's probably something else at large with you know the oafishness of the authorities but right yeah yeah for sure that's uh maybe not as fleshed out as the uh, rest of the themes in this film sure yeah it is funny though <laughs> it is pretty uh, funny yeah he's fucking ridiculous yeah <laughs> just like more of a child than any of the children <laughs> that are out there playing all right shall we move on yeah, let's do it. Um, for the next film we watched, Snoop Doggy Dog's debut, the 1992 film Deep Cover. And I say that because there's a, a song made for the film, and it was Snoop Dogg's studio debut. Uh, really? Yeah, with Dr. Dre composing. Pretty cool. Mm. Wow, that's, uh, that's uh, something I did not know about this movie. Yeah. But 1992, Deep Cover, directed by Bill Duke, who's from Poughkeepsie, New York, not too far from my hometown, um, is a film starring Lawrence Fishburne as um, Russell Stevens, uh, who the film opens up uh, with the streets of Christmas, just as um, Hardcore did, actually, and did I say the streets of Christmas as if that's a place? Oh, yes, the, the hard streets of Christmas Town. But no, it um, takes place in... Cutting your teeth on the streets of Christmas. takes place in L.A. I don't know if the opening does, but our main character is with his father as a child in a car, and his father uh, gets gunned down in a liquor store after trying to rob it, and... So Russell Stevens grows up to be this straight-laced, um, sober cop. And he is chosen for an undercover mission to expose and take down a criminal drug syndicate, which uh, is run by narcos drug kingpins that are related to um and part of the was it colombian government in the film i believe so colombian or venezuelan yeah they have um connections to the government uh, government uh in south america and he goes undercover as a drug dealer to expose him and he winds up meeting jason played by jeff goldblum and David. David? Who's Jason then? David Jason. Oh, Jason was his last name, eh? <laughs> yeah. David oh. Jason. Two first names this Jeff Goldblum. Well, Goldblum is my son's name. All right. How many kids you got again? Six. Six kids? Oh my god. I'm a great great uncle, eh? I mean, I mean, I think I got six. It's how to keep track of them. Oh, Zazoom. Anyway, yeah, so. This undercover LAPD cop sort of starts falling deeper and deeper into his role undercover and things get really messy because there's also another LAPD narcotics officer that him and his partner are trailing our main character 
even though he's a cop himself and these sort of um, all these different levels of the police force and the U.S. government trying to use and follow Russell Stevens and he himself starts to have the lines blurred between his duty as an officer and himself as a person in this new life that he's living and it's um it's on its surface a pretty typical crime thriller but really is one of few films at the time to really um go so deep to really indict the u.s government's role in the crack epidemic because as it turns out in the film the u.s agencies that are using stevens wind up um telling him uh you know what we've been using this whole time but now we actually want to keep this guy in power and now we actually want to keep the drugs on the streets because it profits us and it enhances our positions and um there's also a lot about code switching in there um as black people in this country often aren't allowed to act a certain way or be a certain way and sort of have to um code switch in different situations in order to sort of pass uh within this country without facing um just grotesque uh police brutality or uh, legal repercussions or social repercussions and yeah it's 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 a great film yeah and i think another thing that this film explores is um like how racism still exists within the police force even if you're a part of it you know right. and I, like yeah, how yeah. there's really there's really no way to escape these social issues when they are at the central roots so even even in this world when you run to power it power will still abuse you right and that yeah, is yeah. something that falls that falls upon um lawrence fishburne's character's head in this film um as he is so determined to not meet the same fate as his father um which is yeah his this real driving force for a lot of his ethics and his morals which are then become compromised as he is essentially misled by his employers yeah and he uh he eventually has to has to take another person's life for this this position that he's put in which is um really messes him up well yeah i think the thing that messes him up most of all is that is like you said the 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 central twist of them deciding that they want to keep the person they were going after in power thus um thus making all of his work pointless and that that's really the first time he uh turns to drugs because a right. big part of you know this character's uh values is sobriety which he uh he compromises in that moment um i absolutely love this film as we mentioned before uh i watched it in a cabin um at a young age and i feel like this film was like secretively very formative for me because the police procedural is something i like a lot but i really only like it when it shows how incompetent the police are and the failings of that and like what miraculous things have to go right in order for these things to really come together um 
And this film visually is stunning. So many amazingly lit sequences, such great variety in terms of close-ups and the long shots at the harbor, catching in so much in such a wide space and catching all the little details in a small space. Um, this film is a lot about vacillating in a sense. Like you said before, this code switching and this double life that Russell Stevens is living. And that happens not only within the themes of the film, within the action of the film, within the structure of the film, but also visually within the film. And so I think that this movie is just firing on so many different cylinders. The script is so solid. Like you mentioned before, it is almost deceivingly like a boilerplate procedural right. but there really is so much extra going on that is so masterfully layered in that you might not even notice right. or maybe that's not a, that maybe you do notice but you don't notice that you know this right and that's that's often how these sort of films or pieces of art that are critical of the systems and institutions that normally dominate the sort of genre it's playing in and so sometimes you have to use the vehicle for which is is we normally see these stories told through in order for it to be subverted right yeah then you know just another box that this movie is checking off um, right. the last box i would really need to highlight feel the compulsive need that's actually a lie there's two more things i really want to talk about in this film snoop doggy <laughs> dog Three films, three things, three things. Snoop Doggy Dog in his sick beat that I didn't recognize, apparently. Uh, the performances in this film, top to bottom, are masterful. Yep. Lawrence Fishburne delivers an absolute tour de force. Yep. Jeff Goldblum Ooh. is an immaculate foil. Yes. The entire supporting cast delivers in terms of authenticity and... And also, yeah, staying within tropes without pointing them out necessarily. Um, and the final thing I want to mention is the poetic nature of this film. There, there were two key moments. These are, uh, I guess you'd call them lines of dialogue um, in the movie. Oh, yeah, I guess you would call them lines of dialogue. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that are almost uh, poems that... Lawrence Fishburne uh, orates and almost they feel improvised almost that that in these they come in these moments of confrontation when these people who kind of are representing opposite sides of uh, Russell Stevens values um, and like his angel and his devil so to speak um, he uh, kind of responds with these in two different moments the first being you know the jungle creed says the strongest feed on any prey it can, and I was branded beast at every feast before I ever became a man. And Ooh. then, yeah, that's that's, that's not narration. That that was dialogue. No, that's dialogue. Oh, oh no, that bit is narration. I'm yeah, sorry. That okay. bit I, I was think about is to say that sounds like narration. That don't sound um, like dialogue. Whatever, the same shit. But no, the not, second no, bit, no. The second piece is near is dialogue excuse me this is against the uh a cop who doesn't know that russell stevens is a cop 
uh, after someone he knows OD'd on uh, cocaine. And he's kind of saying, well, this is your fault, you know, because you're pushing it. This is ultimately your misdeed. And, um, you know, at some point during the exchange, Russell Stevens says, where the junkies prowl and the tigers growl in search of that much needed blow, where the winos cringe in a canned heat binge and find their graves in the snow. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, it's good. like it, um, those remind me of Howl by Alan, or oh, Alan yeah, Ginsberg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Have you read that? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so short and sweet and loosey goosey strange And yeah, th- that gave me Howl vibes for sure. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel about like um, both narration in this film and like, what do you think is the role? What, what, like, what's your ideal role of narration in film? Of narration? I, th- yeah. I think that it shouldn't really be noticed. I think yeah. that if it can provide either thematic or narrative context that cannot be more efficiently or artistically conveyed, then I really see no harm in it. And sometimes films really suffer from a lack of narration. Yeah, I sure. Oh, from a lack. I um, thought you were going to say from too much. Yeah, because like for me, I'll find that, you know, too much narration. I don't want to say like does too much of like the whole um, show don't tell thing, because sometimes I think it's more fun to tell and not to show. I agree. Kind of a, a lame generalization that doesn't, it's kind of absolutist and, doesn't apply to a lot of things but there with film especially there'll be more instances in which i'll watch a film and be like the narration was pointless or there's too much of it rather than there's none at all and i'm like oh i wish there was more there will be films that have some narration and i wish they did more with it or i wish that there was more of it but i i definitely never like yearn for it when there isn't any but way more often i'll be like narration was unnecessary and and did do too much telling and not enough show or too much telling instead of showing even though again i find that idea usually is kind of lame yeah i feel like oftentimes though when films are done without narration i feel like it's a much more difficult proposition and that if not executed with perfection does leave us lacking in terms of what we know about the people who essentially we go through this journey with who, you know, I don't think in every film, the protagonist is a stand in for the viewer, but for a lot of films, that is the, uh, the general approach. And I often, or maybe not often, but when a film is entirely without narration, I feel like sometimes, yeah, it can leave us yearning for a little bit more of interiority. Yeah. When it comes to um, I knew you were gonna say interiority too. Yeah, I bet you did. You know, you know me. <laughs> I love that juicy, warm, mushy interior. Oh god, organs Blood spilling out. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Grunkle's podcast. Yeah, and I, de- I definitely I like when it's like especially poetic is when I really love it. Um mm-hmm. and at first in deep cover, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this narration, but by the end I was on board for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it serves its purpose yeah. very well. But like Tarkovsky um, narration, something like that. Oh my Guma. Yeah. <laughs> oh my Guma. Yeah. When you have to read it. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Make no, sure I just, the content itself. Make sure those glasses are clean, Grunkle. 
Uh, they did have some gum stuck on them earlier. Yeah, today, well, so. Tar- Tarkovsky's narration's got nothing on Tarkovsky's dialogue, bro. Yeah, I mean, Tarkovsky does it all slamming damn, and we'll have to watch yeah. one for the movie month sometime. We will, we will. We'll have oh, to right. do one I haven't seen, maybe. Yeah. Um, or maybe when I when I show my roommate Stalker, we can sneak it into movie month, just for, just for an excuse, you know. What have you seen besides Solaris and Stalker? I've seen Ivan's Childhood. I oh, right. saw his other early one. What was it? Um, I'm pretty sure Nostalgia and The Sacrifice are the only ones I haven't seen. So you've seen Andre Rublev? Mirror, Mirror. Oh, I haven't seen Andre Rublev, but I have seen Mirror. Mirror, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, if I had to rank them RN, it would definitely Ooh. go Stalker, Solaris, Mirror, Childhood. Nice. Well, that's just me. Um, but there's another filmmaker we need to talk about who isn't Andre Tarkovsky. Can you tell me his name, Grunkle? I think it's, uh, uh, I was going to try to think of a joke, but I I got nothing. I'm not funny on the spot. I'm not funny at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not funny enough to be podcasting. I need to be funny. I need to be funny. God damn it. Tristan, God damn it. Get your shit together. Uh, I I was talking about our producer about replacing you actually. Oh damn! Really? Yeah, You're telling me yeah. on air? On air, yeah. A little rough. <laughs> a little rough. <laughs> Who are you getting? That's that's a grunkle enough to fill the hole, huh? Who else? Tom Cruise, dude. He watches a movie every day. Oh, wait. If you're getting Tom Cruise, then I'll just gladly step down because I want to listen <laughs> to you and Tom Cruise do a podcast. <laughs> I Holy mean, shit. we can, we, you can feature on it. The that podcast is totally worth giving up. <laughs> like hearing you and Tom Cruise talk about movies. Yeah. Me and Tom Cruise talk about movies that you have full control over. <laughs> right. I still get to pick. Yeah, you pick cool. all the movies. Oh, all of them. Wow. That, yeah, yeah. See, that would be baller. But no, John yeah. Cassavetes is uh, the director. Yeah, we're, we're talking about John Cassavetes. And yeah. we're talking about his movie Faces, his 1968 film. Ooh, oof. One year away. One year away well, from was being 69. a good movie. Kess was 69. Or wait, isn't it 79 anyway? No, it's 69 for Kess. No, your your glizzy year. Oh, seventy nine. That's 69. yeah. But again, as we talked about, I can't call it that anymore. It's too well, many years. I think I think we proved you wrong last time, though. I don't know. I don't well, know, man. You know, it's reductive to put anything into a category. Life is still primordial soup. Exactly. Can I get I, Can I get some emotes in the chat? Yeah, W. Welliot. Welliot. Yeah. Wefu. Wefu. All right. Um, Well, this Wefu is ready to talk to you about Faces, a film that explores many different relationships. There you go. Hope you enjoyed. Um, (laughs) We've made that joke uh, so many times. Yeah, but it's it's so... It slaps every time. so good every time and also every time it's accurate because right. we we don't we don't bust it out uh without without good reason because this film is um yeah a little bit reductive in terms of its content um it is comprised of a handful of long form scenes that um chiefly involve um a particular married couple and their 
various run-ins as their marriage goes through great and unexpected turmoil. Um, John Marley plays Richard Frost, a finance chairman. Hey, Dick Frost there. And he's about as insufferable as you would imagine. And I don't know. I I really am going to struggle to talk about this movie. Drunk, oh, yeah? I think, yeah, because it really is just not for me. It is so very of its time, and maybe in the way it explores behind closed doors relationships and gender dissonance for what the world was in 1968. In the current age, it is just so, I don't know, it's very jarring, and especially the way that Cassavetes almost suffocates us with a montage of almost exclusively close-ups. Oh, yeah. It's an aptly named film because this yeah. film truly is almost exclusively close-ups of people's faces. Um, yeah, I feel like um, I, I just can't breathe. And I just can't yeah. give... I can give this film respect. I can give this film attention. But I can't really vibe with it. Yeah, I, I found it... Um... Maybe not as underwhelming as you did, but slightly underwhelming. It really is just comprised of a series of hangouts and conversations that slowly over the course of the film sort of kind of reveal a little bit more about um, primarily this one central marriage uh, that Richard Frost has with his wife, but also just sort of highlights the fact that... um, Everybody is just sort of nobody's satisfied with their lives and everybody's life is sort of comprised of this this cycle of 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 at least within this world this cycle of getting drunk um, and violent flirting right yeah exactly but also like waking routine, up regretting like, everything <laughs> to- toxic routine and and thinking that something is going to fulfill you, thinking that um, this partying or this cheating or this sort of reconciliation or this joking is going to make you feel better, but it never truly does because we as people hardly ever truly know what really makes us happy. Um, It's all always under... Happiness is always defined by sort of the um things that social norms and social behaviors would lead us to believe would make us fulfilled uh, yeah and this film is is very deeply rooted in its social norms and it really feels like uh i don't know that everyone is performing and maybe that's always true but i feel like in the 60 years that have passed since this film's released there's been uh, a lot more in terms of the notion of self-acceptance and just be who you want to be right. kind of thing where um but i don't yeah, know if that's even what the like if this film is even no i think like, that that is a, a malady that the people in this film are suffering from right right and i think that that no one in this film is true to themselves right yeah um, exactly and not because well. like you said they do, they can't really know themselves and more importantly you can't really know another person right um and it's really just, you know, putting up the uh, barriers and social goalposts that kind of uh, 
you know, this, this model, like we've mentioned before, in terms of like life paths, a model of happiness and what works for a lot of people. And when it doesn't always work for you, or when you rush into it with the wrong person, just because of expectations, or if this, that, and the other thing keeps you for what you really wanted, and you can't speak your truth, and then how we go down this rabbit hole of suffering and suffering, and it's all just suffering and yeah, cool baby. movie, bro. Cool movie. Yes, yeah. you know, I, I I like those aspects about the movie, and I think it does it pretty pretty well, especially. I don't. Days. I don't necessarily know if these are are things that are. I don't know if if maybe a rewatch is warranted to um i don't know further denote the difference between what this film is actually presenting and what one can glean from it after the fact or maybe those two are one and the same well i mean i think cassavetti's you know he he does two things really well he gets really good performances out of people i think and he Mm -hmm. um i i agree with you on that and he explores um rotting relationships um Mm -hmm. And I think he does it really well here. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't crazy, too, too crazy about the film. Because like, if anything, I was a little, I don't know, at ports, at points, a little maybe uh, uh, not very invested because of how, you know, kind of slimy these characters are sometimes. But paired yeah. with the sort of sporadic um, editing and the intimate, amateurish uh 16 millimeter camera work and it's all very claustrophobic and it's all very bing bang boom boom it's it's very student film yeah it is a little bit yeah it's like sloppy it's amateur if, if, I, well, yeah, I, I don't if, know if i would say the characters film, weren't amateur, older amateur you, you sure. we've we've discussed my notion of a student right. film before right. that it isn't that isn't necessarily a uh, a degradation or right, a slight right. against the film. It's more speaking to the the capabilities that a student filmmaker would right. have at their disposal. Yeah, I and think like this. Yeah, like there's always value in in amateur amateurism, amateur indie. Right. Well, I mean, if film. if every movie needs ten million dollars, then we're fucked. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I. Well, it's hard to say I enjoyed watching it because, you know, it does kind of. Yeah, it's one of those movies where it's hard to. But I enjoyed it as a film, you know. uh... Yeah, for sure. For sure. It, you know, I feel like a big thing for me in Cassavetes is that opening night was the first one of his films that I saw. And that just set just such a high bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I feel like, uh, I feel like, I don't know what else is going to, is going to meet up to that. Yeah. Like, if you're listening to this watch opening night that film is we watched yeah. it on a previous movie month that was pre-podcast pre, pre-podcast the prehistoric times yeah and it is so damn indulgent but it is also very interesting and uh talks a lot about the notion of performance who we perform for how we perform for ourselves yeah. the rotting relationships grunkle mentioned earlier but sort of it's does it on this meta theatrical uh more a bit more grandiose, a bit more sort of epic than this sort of claustrophobic intimacy of this film. Yeah. Yeah, but and like, it, why watch John Cassavetes when you could just watch Neon Genesis Evangelion? Um, you could say that about a lot of things, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> NGE is goaded, bro. You're so right, girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were talking about I have, how I have to watch the rebuild. 
yeah that's yeah that, that's the good stuff too I, I sort of went into faces uh with very high expectations um because it is one of the more i don't know i've i've heard it's very talked about i don't know like it's yeah. uh a lot of my film friends have, who you know they are like this is this is the one you know what i mean right yeah this or, is yeah. i don't know i feel like um i don't know i feel like maybe john cassavetes is just that kind of director um where just different ones resonate for different people sure and, you know and i feel like film as a whole you know different things are gonna hit you at different points and different spots in your life yeah. and us as mid 20 somethings just googling gobbling about a podcast which uh you know it, it um maybe maybe we'll see it in a different way when we're this character's age and we are back in the 1960s sure yeah uh well now that i would like to do yeah i know you would yeah um you you nothing, nothing me, like having oh, I'm, not, I'm not gonna say that never are you gonna say like oh back when there was racism i bet you liked that or some no i wasn't gonna say like that, that. I was not going to say that. Yeah, sure. I'm Well, now now you've talked it up so much. I'm feeling pressured to say it, but I'm not going to say it. So Fine. You texted me something about um this being like a uh, lamo scenes from a marriage or something. I did not say lamo. I said scenes from a marriage without the subtlety because oh, sure. these but characters is, are I mean... just it's subtle in one way, but then it's also incredibly garish in another way. We're oh, seeing yeah, from a no. marriage is, would, this is not entirely restrained. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like, even in the fact that it is only faces, like I said before, it is claustrophobic. It is yeah. suffocating. It yeah. is, it is like, it is hard to, to appreciate all the little details when you don't really feel like you have the space to observe them. Yeah. And uh, seems from marriage is just like wow, wow, wee wah, and this was like okay, I I appreciate it, but yeah, not so wow, wow, wee wah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, no, this is this we is we definitely... always find a way. We always find a way to talk about movies, huh, bro? Right, as we should. I mean, this it's. Uh, I mean, I won't be talking about them for too much longer. You'll have old Mister Cruz to bounce off of, but yeah, that's true. I do love me talking about some movies and we're going to be talking about more movies. Why don't you tell them the fine folks over in the listening sphere, what we're uh, going to be talking about next. Yeah. So next week, uh, me and Tom Cruise are going to be talking <laughs> about uh, Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows, Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, and Todd Haynes' homage to Douglas Sirk, Far From Heaven featuring my personal favorite actress julianne moore not actress i shouldn't say actor my favorite film actor is definitely julianne moore yeah all time goaded in the sauce oh yeah for sure i think willem gets second really yeah i think so but maybe i i haven't really looked at necessarily like the canon of like all of like each actor i guess you know what i mean because you watch so many movies as we do that are like also kind of sporadic temporally sure. and geographically yeah, um, yeah yeah it's like hard to necessarily keep track of of when in that it's more like oh that actor's in this film kind of thing right, sure. um and then off the cuff right now i would have to say number three is toshiro mifune oh sure yeah so you know that uh, yeah. that's that's a trifecta like yeah, who yeah. else goes up there in mount rushmore drunkle you you pick the third your fourth Oh Jesus! I don't know. Like maybe Denis... Lawrence. Maybe Lawrence. He's pretty damn good. Denis Levant or like uh, Buster Keaton, something like that. I feel like Denis Levant doesn't have the 
the like he hasn't done that many you know what i mean like he is a tour de force on film but how many i mean films i've seen like really i don't know he's been he's in a bunch of leos's films and then uh yeah like lovers on a bridge move song um uh what's it called uh uh factories no attractors holy motors um tractors yeah no 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 no, no. <laughs> and then uh the claire denis film i'm also blanking on right now uh What's the Claire Denis? Bo Travai? Thank you, thank you. You forgot the names of Holy Motors and Bo Travai. Well, I got to Holy Motors, and I'm just very overwhelmed right now doing this podcast, and I couldn't think of Bo Travai. Yeah, I I would be overwhelmed, too, if I knew this was my last time on Grunkle's movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know, like, um, Liv Allman is up there for me. Mm, Okay. Um, Buster Keaton I would put up there, honestly. Yeah, Buster Keaton, I can get behind for show. Otherwise, um, I'm not sure. I don't really have. Um, I don't really have much of a actor pantheon myself. Mm. Yeah, you're too too busy loving everything. You lusty, lusty grunk. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe uh, Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, Tom Cruise. All right. Well, you guys can catch me and Tom Cruise next week. Uh, and maybe we'll replace top proper tea with like a uh, corn or I don't know, maybe a oh, sy- system of a down or if rage we could get the corn to do our music. Oh my God. Fuck the nepotism. Fuck nice. proper tea. Let's get corn. Fuck you, Jonah Bobo. We're listening to corn. Corn with a K, baby. Play us out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Much love to everybody. I don't even know if corn is like that. I have no idea what their music is. Yeah, me neither. All right. We'll find out. Peace.